This week on A Lively Experiment, a proposal to change the way Rhode Islanders vote and run for office, including a tweak of the residency requirements for candidates, and the first person to officially throw her name in in the race to succeed Congressman Cicilline. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr., for over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Billy Hunt, chairman of the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island. Dave Lehman, corporate communications consultant and former television anchorman. And Brown University political science professor, Wendy Schiller. Welcome into this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us. For nearly a decade, Rhode Islanders have had to show identification at the polls, something that at least 34 other states also require. Now, some here are calling for a repeal of that law, saying it may disenfranchise some potential voters. This, as lawmakers are also considering a bill that would require candidates to live in Rhode Island for five years in order to run. Uh, Wendy, let me start with you. That last one might be the Ashley Kalis Memorial <laughs> Bill. I understand, and various states do it different ways. California, I think, is seven years. We can, you can run pretty much if you've been here like you've arrived. So let's start with voter ID first. This has been controversial in other parts of the country. I think because in the South there was some disenfranchisement issues. Do you see any problem with voter ID? Well, I think that the Supreme Court has ruled on this, and essentially they've said if a state makes it possible to get a free ID, a free state ID, so that it's not economically uh, onerous for people to get the ID, then it's constitutional. So Texas got struck down because they basically made people drive hundreds of miles and they charged them money, but now the court's like, if you don't charge money and it's easy to get, then the state can actually do that. And I, I think it's good to have identification. I, I understand people not wanting to be stopped by law enforcement to see their ID unnecessarily. I agree with that as well. They shouldn't be able to do that. However, having identification is good in case you get into an accident, in case you need to do anything. So I don't see the problem if it's provided free um, of charge and it's easy to get. I think it's better for people to have identification in this world. I agree. It's it's something that uh, you know. It's it's a, something that's offered by the state for free. If you uh, change addresses or anything like that, you should go and update your voter registration so you're voting in the right precinct. That's the problem that a lot of people have is that they're not registered to vote where they live, and that creates problems at the voting booth when they when they go actually to go vote. Um, it, it's really it's it's a little bit strange to me though because uh, talking about the mail ballots is uh, one of the other bills they're talking about. You don't need an ID to vote for a mail ballot, but you do need an ID when you go vote at town hall or go vote uh, at the polls. So again, it's this, this idea that there's an overly complicated process and that uh, people don't understand the, the differences between voting by mail, voting by uh, in person, and, and when their ID is a requirement that can complicate things. They eliminated the two witness signature and that was controversial for some people. Do you think they should have kept that or not? Or do, do you think that's, uh, for a mail ballot, you have to have a witness and then you send it I, in. I think any, anything that you're uh, attesting to that's uh, the, the, in contracts, if you're changing the beneficiaries on your life insurance policy, any Anything like that, you have witnesses and stuff like that. I think that's a, a relatively uh, a reasonable step to request for people to do if they're going to be voting by mail. Yeah, I, I think it just makes a lot of sense. And one of the things it does is it eliminates the possibility, not 
completely, but a lot of the possibility of some of the Trump stuff that the, the election was stolen, that they had people who, who were voting who shouldn't have voted or weren't entitled to vote. I think a lot of this just makes it, it's just common sense. We do this all the time. You use your ID for everything, Everything, right? everything. And I, 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 I am sympathetic uh, to, to some corners who they say, well, some people may not be able to do that. You know what, there are always going to be those exceptions, and it's unfortunate, but life is not perfect. And I think having a valid ID and making it easy, as you point out, Wendy, having a valid ID, easy to get, and you know what, various social agencies and so forth can also make that work. Uh, senior centers, for example, can, can help out in that, in that regard. There are a lot of ways to, to, to take this away from being a hurdle. So and I think, I, think, I think the validity of the vote is probably the most important thing we have in this country. Right. And it's a vast minority that might get frozen out. But you're right, if they have the ID. What about the second part to this minimum five years to be able to run for governor? I, I, I you know I'm a transplant. I've been here 28 years. And, and you're I'm considered still a newcomer. Considered a transplant. Um, so, I, you know, I think you should probably know how a state works. You should probably know, you know, the workings of a state and understand the business community, the educational community, the underserved community. It takes a little while to know that. And you'd want the governor to have some experience with the bill. Five years seems like a long time. What about, you know, two years? You know, in two years, you can probably figure out the and land. And don't you land. think the voters are actually going to know if you're not from around here? Well, that's what I mean. when you say we you're not from around fall, here, right? sometimes you could say, I've been here for the vast majority of my life, but I'm still not from here. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think too, it just seems arbitrary five years. I don't quite understand it. And we don't want to preclude talent, right? We don't want to say, oh, you're talented. You, want, you don't want to come. We don't want people who, you know, who uh, haven't lived here a long time. Plus, the good news is that a governor who has, doesn't have strong ties here uh, personally can make decisions that are a little bit more objective, a little bit more neutral. Dave? Uh, I, I absolutely agree. I think uh, most states, uh, and I checked this, most states have a five to a seven year residency. Some are lower than that. There are some two years. Uh, we are a handful, uh, Rhode Island is, is one of a handful of states that basically mean as long as, long as you're, you're not living at the Holiday Inn over the weekend, you can run for governor. I think this is something that, that it is serious. I, I came up with a, an idea as we were studying this. One way to probably uh, uh, solve part of this problem is, is to not permit an entirely self-funded campaign. Because somebody can swoop in, and this is not a, a dig at actually Kayla's, this could be anybody. If they've got a lot of money, they can drop in here after a, a month and, and they can roll the population if there's not a great feel. But then you get into constitutional issues on money, right? Well, well yeah, but, it, but you could put a limit on it. For example, maybe... States can do that. Maybe States can do that according to their own constitutions. Yeah, maybe yeah. $750,000 limit might be, might be good. That gives a, a new person a chance to, to get on the air, to get some name recognition, to raise more money. Uh, but I think, you know, if you want to run a state... You ought to be here for a little while to, A, understand the state, understand what the problems are. And if you're not willing to do that, go do something else. Maybe the Wendy Schiller Amendment should be two years, <laughs> where she could come in and we'll call that the Schiller Amendment. Yeah. What do you think, Billy? The idea that uh, somebody that can just walk into a state in 30 days and run for office for one of the major parties is just a reflection about how anemic the Republican Party is in the state. Like, we really don't have a farm team uh, for them to 
bring up candidates that are ready to go to run for governor. And really, I mean, I'm not necessarily against this. If, if somebody wants to come in in 30 days and run for governor and be able to, to achieve that, uh, good on them. That's, that's up to them. Uh, the idea that we're restricting who we're allowing to vote for but making it easier for people to vote for those people doesn't make a lot of sense to me. If, if somebody wants to run, they should be able to run for office. Well, I think there were people, uh, you know, uh, Blake Flippy, I think uh, um, Judge Flanders, just a couple of people who could have run for governor from the Republican side who chose not to run for governor. So I wouldn't necessarily call it totally anemic. Uh, I well, would say that there are people who could have who could have made the leap, but they figured, well, I'm not going to win, so I don't. Well, know why anemic that they didn't put somebody but, up. But, but why I mean, weren't they? Right, would have, right, should have. And right. why didn't why didn't they have the pathway to victories? Because they didn't have the money, they didn't have the organization, they didn't have right. anything that you need to have a functioning political campaign to get candidates elected. I mean, that's what a political party is all about and the Republican Party has a terrible track record in well, and also thinking about Hillary Clinton's political career um, this was a, a big charge lodged against her. She moved to New York six months before she ran for Senate uh, for the 2000 Senate race, and she won that race. But there was a lot of grumbling. Didn't well, one of the Kennedys know. do that years ago too? Yeah, yeah. The so I mean, yeah. So I think that I think uh, it's really important for the voters of Rhode Island to say it matters to us that you know us and, and you know our state. Uh, but I think five years is a long time, and I think it precludes potential talent. So I'm a little uncomfortable. And there are a lot of states that do have the two-year uh, requirement. Right. Uh, so the Schiller Amendment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am deeming it here for anybody who's listening. All right. The, uh, this is something we're probably going to be talking about every week on Lively uh, between now and the fall. Uh, Congressman Cicilline's departure in May has set off a whole host of phone calls going on. Who's going to be running? We know now there's been a lot of speculation. One candidate who's already thrown her name into the uh, mix is Sabina Matto. She has not announced officially that's apparently going to come this coming week. Uh, but it looks, all signs appear that she's going to. Dave, we were talking off-air before this. There's really no downside to this. She has a four-year term. She loses. She goes right back to the state house. It's true for all of them, whoever might be uh, considering a run. Uh, it, it's a, uh, it's a, basically, it's a, a no-fault opportunity for anybody who wants to run. Uh, I talked with just a few minutes before we uh, rolled tape here, uh, with Joe Shikarchi because uh, he is somebody who is considering a run. Uh, he told me, and I think this is new, he told me he will have a decision uh, by the end of next week. So he's... he's Good, so he, let's stop the speculation, in or out. The, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know the answer to that. He told me that he is, he's done all the political calculations. He feels as though he's got the support, he could get the nomination, he's got the money. Uh, so that's not, that's not an issue for him. His issue is he's got to make it now on a pers personal level. And uh, he's going to take the next week or so to flesh that out. Uh, I just don't understand why Joe Shikarchi would run. And I told him this, uh, just as a layman's point of view, small l, <laughs> that why, you know, why would you give up uh, the power here? He's got, you know, uh, a 14-point housing bill. You know, he'll never get a bill in Congress uh, for, for, you know, probably five or six years if he stays that long. Rhode Island now has, you know, if whoever gets a seat uh, from this state is going to be the lowest person on the totem pole in terms of seniority. Yeah. He'll, he'll be 435 and just above it will be our other congressman. So we have really no clout. We're the smallest state. We're at the bottom of the seniority list. It's a Republican run house. It's going to probably remain that way for a while. 
Why would you give up the power that, you know, and Joe has a lot of power in this state. He's the most powerful politician, uh, even more so than the governor. But I wonder how many people, uh, we know Joe Sicarci, kind of, Joe Average. Do they really know who the speaker is running as opposed to Sabina Matos when it comes to voters in the district? I don't know. What do you think? Well, Sabina has, uh, you know. She's uh, run a statewide race. And she's also, uh, and Governor McKee, uh, you know, had her by, by his side. Uh, the whole time, right? So he really gave her a big platform. So I think people recognize her. Uh, I think Scarchi has very strong support amongst people who pay attention to politics um, and who know him and know his record. But, you know, I think this is an opportunity for uh, Latinx and um, uh, community in Rhode Island, which is a big community, mm -hmm. to reassert their political power. You know, you had the mayorship of, if you're Dominican, you had a Dominican mayor for eight years, then you had a Guatemala mayor for eight years. Uh, you have Sabina Matos, uh, who's Dominican, uh, who's lieutenant governor. But in the Congressional delegation, we have basically essentially four white men. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, there's going to be a big push to have a woman, and there's going to be a big push to have Latinx representation in the Congress from the state of Rhode Island to sort of balance out the actual population of Rhode Island. So I think there's just a bit more of an uphill climb in this district for Sikarchi. If it was actually the second congressional district, mm -hmm. I think he would have an easier path. This is going to be tough, particularly if the mayor of Central Falls gets in, if Sandra Cano gets in. Uh, it's going to be a little bit tough. And I think women in the state Don't you think want to see cut women running. Do you think they're going to eat each other up? I mean, would the mayor of Central Falls and Rep uh, Senator Cano and Sabina all run together because when they divide the vote. Well, you know what? I mean, men run against each other all the time and don't seem to mind. So mm. I'm not sure that these women will take up you know, well, the, other, the opportunity. The other, the other point here, though, that can't be underestimated, it's about money. Uh, you know, Joe Shikarchi has $1.8 million. Now, he can't use that money directly. But he can he's convert gotta, it pretty He's easily. got to convert it. And I understand that he has got the specialists who know how to do that. To, so he'll have a huge war chest. And it's if my every idea. contributor, I mean, you have to go back to your contributors and he's ask them to money. redesignate yeah, the money, got, so they have to agree to yeah, do that. Yeah, but he's got some money that some people are dead. I mean, he's he's had that money for ten yeah. years, right? But so, I'm not. I know. I, 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 I you can comment on the money part, but I'm, I'm not well, so sure it gives you a big advantage in this race right now. Oh, I think, I think it, it does because it has to. Because Seth Magaziner and Alan Fong both spent well close to four million dollars on their campaigns mm -hmm. to run for Congress, and, and I mean, all the outside money coming in. And a special election in the state of Rhode Island is a very targeted campaign. You have to go ahead and. Find the voters they're going to get out to vote. Unfortunately for Sabina Matos, uh, the Urban Core doesn't have a very good voter turnout. And are they going to turn out in a special election uh, for a congressional seat? And, you know, there's a question. Is, in are, August. And, yeah. Is it the yeah. first district? Are you in the second district? Are you seeing all the campaign commercials? Are you going to realize she you're lives able, in the second district? That's that's yeah. barely. Yes, I know. Well, like well, Seth Magaziner, you could speak right. to the. You know, right. Like, right. That's that's another thing. If we're talking about uh, changes that we should make in the law, let's change it so that you have to live in district to run in the district. That's, that seemed to be. Does that, that matter? Well, do you think to I the mean, it's, it's well, funny. Well, it's a too small state. I don't it, think it it'll be very It'll be very ironic if we have uh, Seth Magaziner, who lives in the first district, <laughs> running uh, Congress right. in the second district, and then someone from the second district uh, representing the first but district. But aren't we parochial in the East Bay, Mr. Mm. Yeah. East Bay? We're like, hey, that guy's from Warwick, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Right. It, it certainly is. I, I, I think, you know, uh, Joe Sicarci uh, has the benefit of having an organization and having, uh, you know, essentially what is. So does Sabina Matos. She has an organization, too. Uh, she doesn't have any money. 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 He's very little money, but we just had an election. We just had an election. Yeah. Rhode Islanders know yeah, everything there is to know you've about everybody. Raise it in, you got to raise it in four months. You no, but, but I'm saying, where was the money by you that you didn't already get? We just voted for everybody. So people in Rhode Island are pretty familiar with a lot of these candidates. Yeah, but all the candidates that just got elected that are in the General Assembly also know who their superstar voters are. They're going to come out and vote in a special election. 
and, and if Joe Sicarti can corral the General Assembly members to help them with his campaign, that'd be an organization that'd be very difficult to beat in a special election. In the in, but where are they in the first congressional district? That's what I want to know for Sicarti. I mean, there's it's. I, I mean, that's I, what I mean. Yeah. Who who's the who are the people that really the get out the vote core? And I think the message of empowering women, and I think also reasserting uh, uh, Latinx dominance or a Latinx participation in in politics in this state at that level, I think those are powerful messages that shouldn't be underestimated. You want the final word on that? No, I, I just think that uh, that uh, Shikarchi, if he decides to run, I think he just has such a, a huge uh, uh, lead over some of these other people, with the exception maybe of uh, uh, Helena Folks. We haven't mentioned her. And she's looking at this as well. Here's somebody. And is known now. She spent oh, millions to get known. Oh, she almost won the governorship. Uh, so uh, this was something she could do. Now, I would have the same question for her as I did for, for uh, Joe Shikarchi. Why would you, as a, as a former CEO of the largest health care organization in the country, why would you want to... Because she's not that anymore. And well, she no, doesn't no. have anything else to do. No, no, well, <laughs> I'm sorry to be blunt. Why did you just say the quiet part out loud? I'm sorry. She's bored. Why, what is she giving up to do? She's well, not giving up anything well, to do this. No, but, but the problem is you've gone from this very heady position, which you, she no longer has, but then you're going to be a minion. But if you're Congress. wired to be an executive, can you rewire to point. be a legislator? That's my point. These are two. That that's it's very different. It's like saying you know, uh, uh, you know, can an electrician uh, be something else? If they prefer to be an electrician, they're wired, so to speak, to be an electrician. They may not be suitable to be a plumber or to be a, 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 a talk show host or whatever. I think. I think there's a big difference here, and if, if I were any one of these people, I would say, so you get elected, now what? Because you set yourself up to run for Senate. Yeah, yeah. I think well, that's someday, true. Yeah. People, you know, I that's think Sheldon point. Whitehouse, uh, he's running in 24. Uh, there's been rumors that um, uh, mm -hmm. Banana Folks will uh, challenge him in the primary. Mm -hmm. I think he's fairly safe. I think he's established a very strong Why wouldn't representation she just wait in the Democratic Party. When Jack might not Reed Well, if might Jack Reed, and Jack Reed, I think, like, you know, um, many of our long-serving senators. <laughs> Strom Thurmond? Will he beat Strom Thurmond? Uh, I think Jack Reed, I think he's done a tremendous amount for the state, as mm -hmm. Sheldon Whitehouse does, has too, but I think Jack Reed has a position that's quite solid. So I think he walks out the door when he wants to walk out the door. But I think if you run for office and you win, even if you're mm -hmm. in the minority, you still have a stronger platform, as you're suggesting, to run for Senate sometime. And I think... Mm -hmm. You know, Cicilline's decision, everyone's talking to Cicilline about his decision. You know, he, he visited um, uh, our Talbot Institute uh, this week, this past week, and he said, listen, I have a chance to do a lot of good. I've spent my whole life working on behalf of Rhode Islanders, and now I get to do that in a different way, uh, and I'm really excited about it. And I think he, he may have also not, he didn't say, we didn't talk about this, he may not have seen a path to the Senate yeah. or anything, and he didn't have anything in the leadership in the Democratic Party right now. Right. Uh, all right, the one thing that uh, Joe Sicarci rolled out last week, right as we were beginning to take uh, was a whole package on affordable housing. This has been right in his wheelhouse. We've got a lot of money to do it now. Billy, I guess the, the, the thing we've been talking about on this set is execution. The one thing I was interested in with Sakarchi is they're backing off a little bit on the zoning regulations. They're trying to push making it attractive for developers, financial incentives. Clearly, if the rates are going to come down, you need more housing stock. So the question is, how quickly can we get that done? Well, it's and that's the, 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 the big question, because realistically, the idea that affordable housing is something that's a, an issue in the state is, you know, a question of what you define affordable housing as. There's plenty of uh, 
apartments that people can rent and whether or not they meet Section 8 guidelines or meet the state's requirement of what affordable housing is uh, doesn't necessarily add to a community's housing stock. Uh, we're dealing with a situation in Warren right now. It's actually two recent situations where developers are able to come in based upon the roadmap legislation and uh, go ahead and basically shove uh, how affordable housing projects down the throat of the community uh, in order to build, uh, you know, because we're a community that doesn't meet the affordable housing guidelines. Uh, all these zoning regulations and everything like that, it's good to start repealing them uh, because, uh, you know, there is no more starter home anymore being built. Uh, the economics of home building now is to go towards the McMansions, uh, the three, four bedroom houses. Uh, that's due to a lot to zoning regulations, lot sizes, uh, you know, permitting uh, septic tanks. There's all sorts of things that go into the fact that houses are getting bigger and bigger and, and more expensive, and that leaves a, a gap in the marketplace for uh, new home buyers, people that are looking to buy affordable housing. Uh, I don't necessarily think that uh, you know getting the state more involved with it is is going to fix the solution in terms of uh, you know creating more incentives for developers, because as we've seen in a town like Warren, which is very uh, progressive and open to having people come in and you know uh, like for all sorts of uh, you know issues, including affordable housing. Uh, they were the first to step up and say, no, we don't want this because it doesn't fit the, the, the neighborhood, doesn't fit the, uh, the area. What uh, does that mean? When people say that, how is that not, not in my backyard, NIMBY? Well, because... It doesn't fit the neighborhood of the town. What does that mean? It's a historical district that is they're demolishing historical buildings in order to put up an affordable housing well, unit. Well, the world moves on. I mean, we're, oh. we're seeing that all over the, the east side of Providence as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think, I mean, if it's a historical religious institution, I have a different opinion about that because that's a pillar of a particular religious community. But this idea that we should preserve houses that are 300 years old and then not allow people to have a safe, clean place to rent and live and work in Rhode Island does not make sense to me in the 21st century. You're incentivizing building owners to go and shoehorn these properties in areas where they don't necessarily fit the community. For these two particular uh, programs that happened in Warren were actually both designated to be built in flood zones. And the big issue that people have with affordable housing and people that are living in them is that there's an issue that they're more vulnerable to sea level rise and everything like that. So why are we creating incentives where uh, developers can go into uh, to a put town them in like the Warren plane. and put them in a flood Well, plane. are they houses or apartment buildings that are tall? In the floodplain. I'm, I'm asking sincerely. It's, it was if it's a, apartment it, buildings, then I'm not so worried about the flooding issue. It's a combination, but again, this is... It, so there are apartment buildings that are, are building... This, these are the semantics. This is a microcosm yeah. of the problem. No, no, yes. not the problem, but it's the also, discussion going you on. You can't have economic growth in a state, and Rhode Island is constantly facing this. You, if people say, not in my backyard, don't don't develop here, don't develop here, don't put apartments here, how do you expect to get workers? How do you expect to get business? Business can't come here if there are no workers. Workers can't live here because they can't afford it. And we know our northern neighbor, Massachusetts, is out of control, expensive, so I just don't know where people are going to go. It goes back to my first point that there is housing available, there is affordable housing, it just doesn't meet the qualifications of what the state guidelines uh, talk about affordable housing. And that 10% was so arbitrary when they said that. I think only less than a dozen, fewer than a dozen, well, fewer. meet the 7 or 10, yeah. whatever, meet that 10%. Dave, you jump yeah. in. Well, I, I guess, you know, my feeling is... Uh, we have a real problem. A lot of people don't don't know this, but Rhode Island is the second most densely populated state in the country. We're second only to New Jersey. Now, when you fly in over Rhode Island... Exeter looks pretty wide open. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, you know, between the ocean and Exeter and some of the other South County areas, you say, how could this be so dense? But that's simply the case. And because 
prices here have gone astronomically high, and I know that as a property owner and as somebody who has a rental unit in Newport, the prices are sky high. And to your point, we have workers who can't afford to live here. And that becomes a real problem for the economics of the state. It becomes a problem, a social problem for those who want to work here and live here and stay here. One of the things that shocked me when I was looking through these proposals was I had no idea that there were people that, that are charging application fees in order to apply to, uh, to have a residency in an apartment. Yeah, go to New York City, it's, $600 to apply. But it's, it's on a, a smaller scale here, and you might not get the apartment but you have to pay the fee. Well, there was one example of somebody paid who was poor or relatively poor paid was paid paid something like five thousand dollars over a period of time to because it, they kept getting rejected. They and kept they getting to go to rejected. The next place. That, yeah. that you want to apply again. I I think these applications they they should not have have either they shouldn't have any attachment with money or they ought to be at least reasonable. My yeah. God, it's cheaper to apply to a college. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think every community in the country, even places like Denver, Colorado, has a huge homeless problem, for example, not enough before, because a lot of people in the pandemic moved to Denver and there's nowhere to live. And people buy property because they want schools and neighborhood and they want it to stay the same because that's what they bought into. I get that. But, you know, the world changes and we are changing. And if we want to stay competitive, we have got to figure out a way to make better use and more use of the land that we have. Let's stay with you. Do you have an outrage or a kudo? Oh. Uh, my outrage, uh, I'm going to get partisan. I don't always get partisan, but I'm going to get partisan today. You'll warm Dave up because he's going to be um, partisan too. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I think that the party that claims to uh, care about individual liberty and individual rights seems to want to tell parents how to raise their children, tell parents what they can, what their children can see. Uh, Tennessee just banned particular drag shows in particular areas where children might be exposed. That is a, if you are the party of the family, the GOP. You're not talking about the libertarians, no, are not, you? No. Okay, just let's be clear Republican that party the says the party of the family and parents parental control in Virginia. You should have parental control of your education. However, we are going to determine, and in Arkansas now, that your child can work at 14 without even getting parental position, uh, uh, permission or 16. Uh, all these things that leave families and children, you know, uh, under the control of what the GOP thinks people should learn in Florida, what they should see in Tennessee, and what age they should work. I think it's hypocritical. Okay. Dave, what do you have? Um, Fox News has been unmasked thanks to this Dominion uh, lawsuit. And they have gotten access, as mo most of us know by now, they've gotten access to the internal emails of the Fox News commentators like Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson. And what they've been exposed here uh, with these emails is that they were supporting Donald Trump's uh, lies uh, throughout his, his candidacy, throughout his presidency, especially since his presidency, that the election was, was uh, a fraud, that uh, he actually won. And th these Fox News personalities knew from the very beginning that was not true. He was lying. They have supported his lies long before he left office, but especially since he left office. And we now know they're all a bunch of fakes. They're liars. They, are, they were consorting with Donald Trump. I think uh, Sean Hannity was even giving Trump election advice while he's on the air. Uh, you know, the whole thing is just so awful. And that might meet the standard. It's a very high bar. They say First Amendment in terms yeah. of malice of forethought right. in for a libel suit.
Well, the, the important thing is, I'll put the libel suit aside. The fact of the matter is that here are people who are looking as, as journalists and they're not, and they've been lying and people have bought into that. That's been unmasked. And now people who watch Fox News, now you know some truth. And if you continue to watch Fox News, you're part of the problem. Well, the sad part is they'll say it's the mainstream media making it all up. Billy, you have the last minute. I'm sure. sorry Dave shorted you a little bit. <laughs> That's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> all right, real quick, Scott Pickering in the East Bay newspapers did a great piece last week about the chronic absenteeism in the uh, state of Rhode Island. And uh, the data is in from the 2021-2022 year. And over half the students in Providence, Woonsocket, Central Fall, and West Warwick were considered chronically absent in 2021-2022 school year. And that's 69% of all Providence high school students. And the, the real issue with it is that if you tested positive for COVID twice, uh, just the protocols would make you chronically absent. If you were exposed to uh, COVID three times, just the protocols of staying out of school, not to mention if you had a head cold or anything like that. So this is just going to show and just beat this drum that the, the cure was way worse than the disease for COVID and keeping these kids out of school is just really creating an issue uh, for people going forward. All right, Billy, thank you. It is a quick half hour. Thanks for joining us. Dave and Wendy and Billy, good to see you. Folks, every week we got something new here. Keep up with it all. We hope you come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great weekend. The Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.